Before I lived here in Massachusetts, I lived in Colorado, uh, and there I did uh, student ministry for seven and a half years, going on eight years. Uh, but before that, my wife and I moved from Texas, where we had an incredible church, we had uh, all of our friends, and we moved to Colorado from our honeymoon uh, to where we knew no one. Not only that, uh, but I also took a pretty substantial pay cut to join into local church ministry. Uh, and in the first couple weeks of me being in Colorado, I was hospitalized because of a kidney situation. Um, I had to have dental work done uh, to then just find out that I actually, uh, my dental insurance had lapsed and I had to end up paying out of pocket uh, and I totaled my car all in the first couple weeks of living in Colorado. And I know many would think like this, this overwhelming, what have I done? Why am I here? Uh, but for me and my wife, we knew no matter the circumstances, no matter what was happening, uh, we had this peace, this peace from God that we were exactly where we needed to be. Now, fast forward several years, uh, and we look back on uh, just how God was really, truly working. We got to be a part of a ministry that saw hundreds of high school students come to know Jesus, come to faith, uh, no longer be spiritually disconnected, and even so much so uh, for them that their faith ended up spreading to their entire family, families that didn't know Jesus or didn't have a, a faith a student <laughs> uh, would be able to welcome that and their entire families were transformed. Uh, we saw over and over and over again uh, the fruit that, again, we were exactly where we needed to be. And it was all because of that peace of God really confirmed that for us. When it comes to peace, I think peace is definitely something that we all desire. I don't know if there's many people that are like, nah, I would rather have chaos than peace. Uh, chaos can be fun in a season, I guess, but <laughs> uh, I think peace is something that we all really desire. Uh, who doesn't want peace, right? Well, what are the, some of the areas and ways that we maybe see that we want to really welcome peace? Well, probably if you've watched the news recently, probably peace in the world would be something that we desire. When it comes to wars, crimes against humanity, trafficking, injustice. We know that the world is broken and it's not as it should be and we can probably all agree that the world needs a little bit more peace. There's other areas of peace that we desire, maybe peace in our relationships. Maybe you are getting tired of avoiding that specific someone in the office because you have some unresolved conflict or, or maybe it's exhausting never being able to see eye, eye to eye with that specific family member. Or maybe it's absolutely heartbreaking that your marriage just continues to see strife day in and day out. We're tired of carrying the weight of bitterness and grudges. We can be tired uh, from feeling like we have to walk on eggshells. Maybe another area of peace, if you have small kids at home, uh, maybe you just want some peace and quiet. <laughs> I have a four-year-old hyperactive boy and a wild and crazy two-year-old girl, and it's hilarious at our house, but it's never quiet. <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, it can be chaotic, and 
I, I think that a little peace and quiet after a long day's work is, is something that I've desired. Maybe that's been you too, but uh, maybe we also want some peace of mind or some peace in our heart, or maybe we want some peace from our anxieties or our worries. There is areas that we probably all desire peace. But what if peace isn't just the absence of noise and chaos? What if real lasting peace comes from somewhere else entirely? Today, we're going to be looking at this radical teaching of Jesus that will challenge us to rethink our idea of finding peace, but also redefine our idea of finding peace in our lives and with others. Over the past uh, couple weeks, we've been diving into this study we call The Upside Down, and uh, where we've been going through uh, one of Jesus' most famous sermons. It's uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this Sermon on the Mount that you can read over the course of a couple chapters, it probably would take you about 15 minutes to read from the beginning all the way to the end of this specific sermon. And in that 15 minutes, Jesus talks about the law, missions, adultery, lust, love, hate, judgment, marriage, divorce, enemies, the poor, prayer, anxiety, money, materialism, heaven, hell, all in 15 minutes. Uh, I wish I was uh, that concise in my teaching. Uh, but for Jesus, he, he challenges his first century audience and their ideas about things like success, things like power, and uh, things like spirituality. And in this portion that we've been going over in this series is actually the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount uh, where it's talking about the things that God blesses. It's kind of like this introduction to this upside down kingdom that Jesus is really bringing forth and it's called the Beatitudes. And we're in the last week of this uh, this series where again, we're talking about the things that God blesses or the things that God favors and we are on verse nine. So this is what verse nine says in Matthew chapter five. It says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Now, we'll keep going here in a bit, but we got to pause and we definitely got to talk about peace. Peace, uh, the word for peace is shalom. And maybe you've heard that uh, around. It means total well-being, both personally and communally. Note what the verse actually doesn't say. It doesn't say God blesses those who are peaceful. <laughs> God isn't saying that those who build walls and fences uh, around themselves in order to avoid conflict are the ones receiving favor, are the ones receiving blessing. He, he's actually saying that the ones who get this blessing are those who work for peace. So what does that mean? First, it means that peace is something uh, that doesn't just happen passively. It, it takes work, it takes action, it takes moving towards uh, this specific uh, piece. And truthfully, most of the time, we don't really like that work stuff. <laughs> uh, we kind of just probably wish that, that peace would just happen. We would just wake up one morning and everyone would be nice, cheery, and peaceful, and then we could go about our day. Well, why don't we want to work for peace? Well, it's because we want the peace without the process and the pain. We want the peace without the process or the pain. And so when we most often think about peace, we believe that peace comes when there's no conflict. 
right? We, when everything is right, when everyone agrees with me and everyone else leaves me alone, is that's kind of sometimes our idea of peace or, or peace to us is when our parents stop inviting themselves to our house uh, just to let us know all the things that we do wrong. <laughs> that's peace in our life. If I could just not have that, I have peace. Sometimes we, we think that or, or peace to us is when our kids stop acting like wild childs and start behaving or at least uh, leave me alone when I'm trying to go to the bathroom. You know, that, that would be, if I had that, I would have peace. Or maybe peace to us is when everyone else starts changing their views or their values or their beliefs or their priorities so they stop clashing so hard against mine. <laughs> Sometimes we have those ideas of peace, but Jesus, Jesus actually turns our idea of peace completely upside down because he says that what brings about blessing, what brings about favor and contentment and joy is when we work for peace. And so what does this look like? Well, we can see the things that we work for peace in three different ways. The first way that we could see peace is when we work for peace in me. It starts with me. You can draw a circle around yourself and try to focus on everyone inside the circle. <laughs> uh, before we can ever be peacemakers working for peace, you first have to have peace with God. And that's through Jesus. That's through, uh, that's through, that's through Christ. There's no works that can earn this specific peace. Now, when I say you will work for peace, the ultimate peace is having a right relationship with God. And the best news ever is that that's a free gift. What Christ has done uh, on the cross uh, for our, on our behalf is a free gift. And so if you've been searching for peace in all of these different places, if it's outside of God, I, I, I'm guessing it's just left you empty. Real peace comes from a right relationship with God, and that's through Jesus. And so how do we find peace with God? Well, it's this free gift of just simply being able to welcome Christ as your Lord, as your everything. Have you ever felt spiritually disconnected? Uh, well, maybe it's because... You don't have a right relationship with God, and it's just simple. It's the simple gospel. The word gospel, it means good news. And the good news is that Jesus has done all of this work for us so that we could experience peace in him. And so maybe if you haven't experienced that, that's the first place to start to be able to experience peace in you. Because maybe if you're like me, there's turmoil in here. There's turmoil in here sometimes in certain areas and certain uh, circumstances. And Jesus came to be able to provide the abundant life now. And there's lots of different resources and ways that he does that uh, for us. Uh, but an anonymous quote by a, a rabbi on his deathbed, uh, he said this, and I find this just so fascinating. He said, when I was young, I set out uh, to change the world. When I grew a little older, I perceived that this was too ambitious, so I set out to change my state. This too, I realized as I grew older, was too ambitious, so I set out to change my town. When I realized that I could not even do this, I tried to change my family. Now, as an old man, I know that I should have started by changing myself. If I started with myself, maybe then I would have succeeded in changing my family. 
the town, or even the state, and who knows, maybe even the world. (laughs) Peace comes when you welcome truth. And the truth is Romans uh, 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, as in we were still enemies of God, rebels from God, Jesus still died for us to make a way, to build a bridge across this ultimate void that was between us and God so that we would just simply welcome that relationship with him and be bought back children of the king. That is the truth that can give peace. And it's actually rejecting truth that brings chaos. Well, what else? What, uh, there's peace, work for peace in me. Well, the next one is we can work for peace around me. Uh, work for peace around me. Romans 12, uh, starting in verse 17 says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. There are a ton of things in our world uh, that we divide on, but this is what it means to work for peace. We address the root cause of division. It's If Christians have done our job there's going to be less homelessness. There's going to be less hunger. There's going to be less division. Why? Because we're representing something that's very specific in a a cure for a lot of these things that are in our society. Working for peace is connected to our desire for biblical justice. In other words, we are working to make right in the world that's filled with wrong. Biblical justice is just simply making right the things that are wrong. While the transformation of the heart is beyond our control, it's not beyond our influence. In other words, this is why we work for peace around us, to influence and to be able to uh, teach a, a, a cure, teach a, a lesson that is leading to a Savior that grants peace within and then gives us the opportunity for peace outside of. There's, there's one thing I've said as I've, I've been in ministry for a, a while now. Uh, everyone is one bad church conflict away from having a burned by the church story. <laughs> it's not a matter of if conflict is going to happen, it's a matter of when, and God isn't surprised by conflict. He's not surprised by hard conversations. Uh, Jesus actually expects his followers to be peacemakers, and he's given us kind of like this four-step process to be able to uh, help whenever we're offended or whenever others are hurt. And it's actually found in Matthew chapter 18, and it starts in verse 15. It says this, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you to go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Uh, This is uh, how you can build trust, you know, by having others that are able to uh, point out pitfalls. Verse 17, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision or the the church's wisdom, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. In other words, treat that person like, because they don't want to actually hear truth or see God in his word. 
And so you see this four-step process here, like you go to the person directly and tell them that you are offended. Already, right off the bat, that feels difficult. If you've ever had a confrontation and maybe you're a little like anti-confrontation, that probably feels like your nightmare. Or if you've ever tried to do that over text message and things didn't go well because the person couldn't see your body language or understand your tone, you're like, no, tried that. No, in reality, it's to go directly to that person and just have maybe a difficult conversation while also using other areas of scripture, like season your words with salt, be compassionate, encouraging, be humble as you go, not pointing fingers, but uh, expecting the best out of uh, uh, maybe a fellow follower of Christ and then being able to talk about it. But if there's no resolution, then it says to maybe get someone else that is maybe a neutral party, like a mediator of some kind or somebody that maybe loves you both to be able to come in and just be able to point out maybe some of the areas of conflict or maybe the miscommunications that might be existing within that conflict. And if that doesn't work, it's then says to go to maybe professionals, to have somebody be able to, like that's trained in this in some area or fashion, to be able to reconcile you two together. And if still that doesn't work, maybe it's, if you have done all of the faithful steps, maybe it's just the other person just isn't ready for truth. They're not ready to be able to actively live out what God is calling and being faithful within conflict. And then you are able to set boundaries with that person, all still with not cutting them off, but setting boundaries to be able to communicate to them that this is what we need to do. And hopefully what that's continuing to do is to charge them more towards repentance and ultimately reconciliation too. Uh, I've gotten people in a room uh, several times that are, are arguing or in conflict and it's, again, not a matter of if, it's always a matter of when. Uh, and I just, I'll just say that I've gotten people into a room where I, I thought they were potentially would physically fight each other. That's the, that's the depths of some of the conflict that uh, I've been able to, to, to see and be a part of as far as in mediating. And through par- prayer and through literally t- like taking God's process for healthy conflict in, in, in this those people that I thought were going to fight each other ended up bawling their eyes out and crying and hugging each other and asking for forgiveness and making amends and ultimately being reconciled. When you invite Jesus into the hard conversation, uh, he said that he is going to be there. It's actually Matthew 18 that said, where two or three or, or two or more are gathered in his name, he's in the midst of you. That's not talking about corporate worship. That's specifically talking about conflict. When you invite Jesus into conflict, he's going to be there because the ultimate goal is always going to be reconciliation. And so uh, work for peace in me, work for peace around me, and all this leads right to working for peace through me. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. 
We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Ultimately, that's what faithful conflict is, is us being able to remind each other of God's best. And if you're listening and maybe you're just spiritually curious or you are spiritually disconnected, I, I know that these words are like, I, I, I want to believe this is true. And I'm just telling you, I've seen this so many times over and over and over again, welcoming God into conflict and then being an ambassador of that, God gets to work through you, would love to work through you to be able to bring peace through you. It's not enough for us to say, I have peace with God and peace in my relationships. God's actually calling us to work for peace, and that extends to anywhere and everywhere in our life where peace is needed. You might have some friends that aren't speaking to each other anymore. And maybe you're like, you've been like, whoa, I'm gonna not step in that, but maybe you love both and it's caused tension. Maybe it's an opportunity to welcome God's process of healthy conflict. Or maybe there's been somebody in your own life that is maybe uh, you've, you've, you've cut off and, and there's an opportunity to be able to reconcile and that's scary, uh, but, God gives us the ability to be able to forgive and not just forgive, but make amends and then reconcile. <laughs> this isn't just about avoiding conflict. It, it means pursuing reconciliation. And ultimately, reconciliation is being made right. <laughs> Where there is division, uh, be an advocate for understanding. Where there is offense, help others heal and forgive. And as we show Christ's love to uh, bring true peace, we reflect God's heart to a broken world that desperately needs to see that. But, and yeah, there's a but uh, when it comes to our, our, our Beatitudes passages, we have to remember that not everyone is going to embrace peace and truth. They're not going to do that in the same way that maybe uh, we're talking about it today or how God is, is preferring or referring us to use healthy conflict. Sometimes even the purest of efforts to bring understanding and to restore relationships are going to be rejected. Actually, uh, the verse that I read earlier in Romans 12, never pay back evil for evil, uh, do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Uh, the next verse in verse 18 says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Peace is ultimately God's to bring, and he ultimately has a plan to restore it. But as, as it says in this passage, the Christian, Christian's role or the follower of Christ's role is to do all that you can to work for peace and live peacefully with everybody. This refers the, the character and nature of God in a broken world. When this is rejected, it shouldn't be surprising. Actually, Matthew chapter 5 ends the Beatitudes on talking about this. So starting in verse 10, as we continue on, it says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when uh, people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. What? Be very glad. <laughs> uh, 
I, I can't help but just laugh. That's just so countercultural. Uh, but it continues, for a, a, good, a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. <laughs> there is uh, there's really a difference here, and I want to point to this. There really is a difference between people being irritating towards our faith and people persecuting. Persecution is a word that means to oppress or harass. It means to uh, pursue someone with the intent of harassing or harming. And throughout history, Christians Christians have faced some pretty intense persecution. Um, in uh, the time of Nero, Christians were dragged out into the street and uh, hot oil was poured on them. Uh, going to the disciples and the apostles, Matthew was slain with an axe in the city of Ethiopia. Mark died in Alexandria, in, uh, which is in uh, northern Egypt, after having been cruelly dragged through the streets of the city. Luke was hung to death in Greece. John was tortured and then banished to the island of Patmos. James, the brother of John, was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the Less, uh, another James uh, in the apostles, was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple. And then it was as if that wasn't bad enough, he lived and then he was stoned. Philip was hung up uh, against a pillar and then stoned. Bartholomew was filleted alive. Andrew was bound to a cross and left to die. Jude was shot to death with arrows like I, we could continue on all the way down to Paul after a variety of tortures and imprisonments. He was beheaded in Rome and it continues. I'm not saying the social tension that exists in our culture isn't persecution. I hear my heart. But what I am saying is Death was what was at stake in the early church and is actually what exists even now in the underground church in other countries. We're in a much different culture here in the West, but maybe this can be an encouragement to some Christians that are listening that, that are maybe afraid to invite your coworker to church or to talk to that family member in a spiritual conversation or to actively live out your faith. Or maybe you're listening and you're just spiritually curious and thinking about like, why would these people uh, die for something like this? Well, they didn't die in a way that they were fighting. They died just simply by showing compassion and living like Jesus. And the world didn't like that. <laughs> and so all this to say, this is something that's promised. This is something that Jesus has specifically said uh, is going to happen. Maybe the greatest test of your ability to be a peacemaker is when you're personally offended. <laughs> it, it may feel terrible to be put down or, or mocked when you haven't done anything wrong, but how do you respond? How should we respond when this does happen? Well, John 16, 33 says, uh, this is Jesus talking. He said, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. I think it's crucially important to, to see the Beatitudes in this way that is blessed are all these things, and then it ends in this way that can very much turn us towards doubt. Like, is this worth it? 
But Jesus says, I've told you these things that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But he says this, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Knowing that Jesus has gone before us, has suffered the ultimate suffering and ultimately being put to death on a cross uh, for just being himself, <laughs> it, is, it, it puts uh, maybe encouragement in us to actively live out in boldness in our faith. And again, if you're watching and you don't have a faith, what I'm telling you is there's something available to you in this peace, no matter what the circumstances of life will bring you. Romans 8.18 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. I love that term, nothing compares. There's suffering waiting at every door for us. There's uh, difficult conversations that are scary. There's all of these different things. Well, the disciples were warned that they would face persecution for the sake of Christ. Why? Because there's nothing quite like persecution, trials, and struggles where doubts can arise and we can begin to question our faith. We're uh, warned that persecution is coming so that we know that we're on the right path. Whenever I got to Colorado and there was difficulty, what actually, instead of being discouraged, this was my heart. This was my thoughts that I had this peace and it was carrying me through. God was there every step of the way. Persecution is a natural part of the process when we choose to seek peace and stand for truth. Persecution has a refining effect on us. It actually talks about it in one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It's, it's James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Joy. And that word joy, the original word is kara, and it's the same word used joy for the angels have kara or joy when someone comes back to God. We're to count it as joy when we faced trials or troubles. Verse 3 says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. <laughs> Now, what this is ultimately talking about is, is um, our life in eternity and being perfect. And we're constantly being made right. And whenever we're constantly being able to uh, welcome the peace of God and all that comes with it into our life. And so as we work to live out this upside down kingdom, to live the, the countercultural way Jesus instructs, we can expect persecution. And when it comes, as Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12 says, he says, we can be happy about it. <laughs> uh, we can be glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's the great Jim Elliot that said that. And so as we uh, uh, dive into what do we do next, uh, I want to just give you the very end of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught. And it's in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, where 
Jesus calls out, uh, calls us out over the crowds. He says in verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. It's built on solid rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. In this story, there's two inverse stories about people that are building houses. And the challenge is for you to build your house on solid foundation, which is truth of what we've been talking about. <laughs> uh, and then the opposite of truth would be the shaky sand. But in both scenarios, don't miss this. In both scenarios, the storm came. The storm is coming no matter where you build your house. And so in both examples, nothing that they did stopped the storm coming. And that's, that's our life. It's not a question of if conflict is going to happen. It's not a question of if suffering is going to happen. It's when. And when it comes, what God has directed us to do, what we can do together is we can build our foundation on solid ground, which is truth. Living out this compassion, living out this peace to a world that desperately needs to see it. And so maybe you need to re-examine how you're working to find peace. Here's a question as we close. Are you living with the attitude of wanting the peace without the process of pain or work? Is that something that uh, you haven't been actively pursuing in you, around you, or through you? Are you focused on making your life so free from conflict that you've pushed people out of the way? Or out of your way or out of your inner circle or in a place where they can't uh, speak truth to you? Have you closed off the walls of your heart and life towards everyone that thinks differently from you and made yourself unavailable to the work that God is wanting to do in and through your life, for you and around you and through you? Or maybe you're here and you realize that before you can work for peace in your life, you need to first find that peace with God yourself. God has already done everything needed for you to be made right in him. All he asks is, if, is for you to recognize, confess, and ask for forgiveness and make the, the conscious choice to start following after his ways. If that's you, you can do that literally right now. Uh, God is accessible to you. Uh, you can talk to them through prayer. Or maybe you know that uh, there is relational conflict in your life and you've stopped short of doing all that you can because of pride or a grudge or just feeling like hopeless and you don't want to try to pursue reconciliation. And you know that you, you need to take the first steps to, to make things right again. What you can do is you can ask God for wisdom you can ask God for humility, you can ask God for courage, and you can ask, also ask others that are faithful in their walks to be able to help. Or maybe you've been content keeping peace within your own circle, 
but have turned a blind eye to the areas of your work, your town, your neighborhood that need peace and have written it off because it's not your problem. Maybe for you today, you need to say, God, here I am, send me, and that let that be your prayer. If there is a way that, that you can help, you can ask the Holy Spirit to be in your life, to point out areas, and to give you courage to be able to say yes in the areas and ways that God's called you. Well, wherever you are, I would love to pray for you. God, we are so thankful for uh, who you are. We're thankful for your peace that is beyond understanding. God, we just pray that we would be able to welcome it in these ways that it's in us, ultimately with a relationship with you and how that transforms us. God, I pray that we would be able to welcome peace around us and in, in how uh, maybe we how we surround ourselves with people that continue to, to need peace. And God, ultimately, I pray that our prayer would for us to be uh, ambassadors, ambassadors of peace to be able to uh, let you use us to be able to, to uh, for others to welcome peace. God, be able to uh, or give us boldness when we face trials, when we face difficulty, and ultimately when we face uh, mocking or persecution in the ways that it looks like here in the West. God, we pray for all of the believers across everywhere, the world that are facing really, really difficult persecution. Uh, Lord, we know that we face hard things and we do it with, with hope because you're there every step of the way. And we do hard things because it's worth it. And so God, I pray that you would continue to reveal that to us. For anyone that is listening that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I pray uh, that they would have the boldness to be able to welcome that today. Thank you again for who you are, Jesus, and continue to give us the next steps. And thank you so much for Grace Church that we could be able to do this together. If there's anyone listening that needs that spiritual next step, God, I pray that they would be bold to welcome that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.